Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. Alrighty, so this morning... Well... So, Palm Sunday. I'm really excited to share today. Um, I have really really pressed in and sought the Lord on this message because I felt like today, today's a holy day. And I really wanted to bring the word of the Lord. And so I'm going to bring this to you. You take it to the Lord and ask him what he wants to do with it in your life. Listen for the voice in the voice because he's going to speak something different to most of you. Um, But the, the story of Palm Sunday is fairly well known. And before I get started, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this week. Thank you for your son and for the way he so humbly walked out the call on his life, for the way that he, he did only what he saw you do. He spoke only what he heard you speak. And I praise you, God, for his example and for, for all that we can draw from it and in the many ways we can draw close to you and all the ways that we can draw close to you that are only possible through him. I pray, God, you guide my mouth today, you guide my heart today, and that you inhabit the ears of everyone in this house so that they hear what you're saying, God, and that it can sink into their hearts in Jesus' name. So today I'm hoping to draw some lessons from the events of Palm Sunday um, and the following week so that we can pull some lessons from that into the season that we've just entered as a house. So Mark 11 7 through 10 says, and this is, you know, Jesus and his disciples are coming up to Beth Page. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now this was an established pattern amongst the Jews for heralding a newly appointed king. Examples are all throughout the Bible. One of which is uh, when Jehu was anointed um, after God had declared the downfall of Ahab. And Elisha sends a servant to go anoint Jehu in secret they go into the house, into a, a pr- private room, and the, the son of the prophet, that's what he's called in scripture, um, anoints Jehu real quick, and he says, you know, thus saith the Lord, I know you came over Israel, and then he runs. <laughs> and then Jehu comes out of the house, and everyone's like, all the commanders of the army are like, what happened? And Jehu's like, oh, nothing, nothing, he's just a babbler, because Jehu knew what was going to happen. And the guys are like, no, come on, tell us. He's like, oh, just anointed king. And immediately, Hosanna, you know, all hail Jehu, king of Israel. And they put their clothes on the ground and they started making a huge deal out of it. Like this is, this is a serious thing. It wasn't just a one-off because Jesus came into town. Um, and the palm branches signify rejoicing and praise. Um, the donkey colt is a symbol of peace as opposed to a horse, which is an animal of war. Right? And Jesus came in riding on an unbroken donkey colt that had never been ridden nor even trained. Um, And then, 
yeah, the people shouting what they shouted there, all, it all works together to, to really show how serious the Jews were about this. He was their king, and they were claiming him. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then add to that the fact that Mary had just anointed Jesus on um, his head and his feet. Two different, there are different accounts amongst the Gospels, and we know they don't contradict each other. They add to each other. Um, and so the way Mary anointed him was reminiscent of the kingly anointing that we find in Scripture. But she, won, she, she didn't just one-up it. She a thousand-upped it by using an entire pint of spikenard, which was worth about 50000 of today's dollars. <laughs> yeah, that was pricey. And talk about extravagant, right? Extravagant worship. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And then you can see how widespread it was, this acceptance, by the fact that Pilate said to the Jews on Good Friday, do you want me to release the king of the Jews to you? And, you know, they said, no, no, no. And he says, are you sure you don't want me to release the one you call the king of the Jews? He said it twice. It was, it was everybody knew in the whole city who Jesus was and that the Jews had claimed him as king. And I'm sure there were plenty of people in the city that remembered Zechariah's prophecy that day. Um, we have it in Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You know people were reciting that. You know it. Because all they had was, you know, what they could remember and recite most of them. So Jesus comes into the city. The people are remembering this. They're seeing all the symbolism. And then the roller coaster begins. Because Jesus came in Monday. He started out great. You know, with, he hurts the fig tree, and the disciples are like, well, he's in a bad mood. <laughs> you know, and then he braids a whip, and he cleanses the temples. And I'm sure the disciples are like, oh, yeah, we're going to get him now. Watch this, boys, because they're expecting he'll save Israel. Remember on the road to Emmaus when Jesus shows up to the two disciples, and he's like, what happened? And they're like, have you been under a rock? Yeah. The one we thought would save Israel is dead. So I can just imagine how excited they were getting at this point. Um, and then... Tuesday, on the way back to Jerusalem from Bethany, where they stayed each night, they all saw the withered fig tree, um, and Jesus pointed out a lesson on that. They got back to the temple. Jesus called the Pharisees some pretty bad names right to their face, called them out, and the disciples are going, yeah, come on, you know? Um, he defied every attempt of the Pharisees to trap him, and he taught in the temple and went back to Bethany. And then Thursday, Wednesday, we don't have any, any record of what happened. I'm thinking he hung out with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and, and Simon the leper who was healed over in Bethany. But on Thursday, they came back to Jerusalem, ate the Passover meal. He instituted communion, and they're like, what is this about? Um, and then he suffered in Gethsemane, resisting sin until he sweat drops of blood. And then after that, the Romans showed up, and he didn't resist. Peter cuts off the ear of the soldier. He's so passionate, and Jesus heals him. And I'm sure the disciples are going, wait, what is going on? I don't understand, Jesus. Why aren't you 
you know, just walking through the crowd like you've done before. Why aren't you stopping them? Why aren't, why aren't you? And that's when their world starts to fall apart. Overnight, Jesus has tried illegally in the house of Caiaphas where all the elders of the Jews had gathered together to have an illegal trial during the night and sentence him to death. And then they sent him off to Caesar. And then on Friday, Jesus, again, silent as a lamb, endures more mockery, more travesty of justice. <clears throat> Excuse me. And by that point, the people were at a, at a point, the people who had cried, Hosanna, you know, here's our king, they were at a point where the Pharisees could go amongst them in the crowds and convince them to ask for a murderer to be released instead of Jesus. Right? What a contrast. I personally think, well, it's obvious, the Jews hadn't missed it when they claimed Christ as their king on Monday, or on Palm Sunday, as he came in and they rejoiced. Like, they, they knew what God was doing in the moment, but they had expectations that during the week blinded them to what Jesus was called to do and the way he was called to save Israel. And so I think that's why they could go from rejoicing Hosanna, laying down their garments and holding up palm branches to shouting, crucify him. So one of my questions for you today is what kind of king are you expecting? Now, our flesh relies on expectations. I've talked about before how we have to learn as infants to regulate our body temperature, you know, to breathe evenly. Eventually, we learn how to hold things and walk, and then we stop thinking about them because our minds are limited. And so if we had to think about all those things every day, every second, I wouldn't be able to walk necessarily to get somewhere, do something, I'd walk. Okay, got to walk. I'd be thinking, using a lot of energy. Thank you so much, Angela. Um, using a lot of energy and brain power in making myself walk and making sure I did it right. Our sight works the same way. We have the equivalent of a, a really, really old, old, like first-generation modem dial-up connection between our eyes and our brains. And that's all we can handle with over half of our brain devoted to processing sensory input from our eyes alone. And so what we see is what's important. I'm looking at my daughter right now. And everything else in the room is filled in with what I expect to see. It's filled in from memory. You know, I look at things and I notice if something's different, but my expectations largely d determine how I see the world. If you ever walked into a classroom where the chairs are rearranged or the living room of a friend that just got redone, you're like, whoa, this is amazing. Like it just hits you all at once and you look everywhere and you're taking in all this new, the new feel of the place. Um, Saul of Tarsus, he's a good example of being blinded by expectations because he was out killing Jews and was such an enemy of the faith. It took quite, quite the experience, put it that way to get his eyes opened, literally. He had to go blind before he could pause enough to see who the Lord really was. Even the disciples, they didn't believe the women who came to tell them Jesus was risen. Surely God wouldn't tell them first. That's not what we do as Jews, you know? Um, and even when Jesus appeared in the upper room, he's like, come touch my hands. It's really me. He had to convince them a little bit. I think one of the most powerful modern examples of this 
is scientists have done quite a few experiments along these lines. But the one I'm going to share today is they took a group of people and showed them a video. And in the video, there was, uh, it was in a, like a basketball gym, and there were two teams, black jerseys and white jerseys, and the instructions were, count the number of times the ball is passed. And so, sat down, they, they all watched the video, you know, one at a time. And then at the end, the people administering the test came in and said, okay, how many times have the ball passed? And most people got it right. And then they said, did you see the gorilla? Half the people went, what? There was no gorilla. No, no, there's no gorilla. I, there, I was watching, there was no gorilla. And then they replay the video. And in the middle of the video, a full-size human being man comes out in a gorilla suit, walks around the court, jumps up and down a little bit. Like, I can't remember if he even took the ball at one point. And some of these people are like, you're showing me a different video. But what they expected to see and what they were focusing on, you know, they took in this, the view, okay, black jerseys, white jerseys, watch the ball, and they didn't see a whole gorilla. So it's, it's just, it's mind-blowing how, how much we rely on expectations to function. And it's just a limitation of our flesh. That's, that's how it is. And so it's being aware of it helps us to not be ruled by it, right? So, how do we keep our eyes open to, open to what God is doing? How do we keep our expectations from blinding us in the moment? Because I would like so anybody who God has worked every time the way they expected to raise their hand. Sweet. We're all telling the truth. <laughs> like, for me, it's about 2% where he does something kind of like I was expecting. But that's, you know, when it's a really, really obvious word from the Lord. Like, you'll receive a refreshing in the spirit. You kind of know what that's going to be like, but everything else, not even close. Thankfully, we have some powerful keys in scripture on this. The first key is to have faith in God. I'm going to read quite a few verses through here. Bear with me. I don't want to rush through these because the word of the Lord is precious to me. So Jesus said to Thomas, well, first the other disciples said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he, Thomas, said to them, unless I see in his hands the prints of his nails and, and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Then Jesus said to Thomas, reach your finger here, skipping ahead a couple verses, and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Faith is believing without physically seeing. It gives us a new kind of eyes. And then in Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. That's the Amplified. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we all know this one. We walk by faith, not by sight. That's just what we do as believers, right? So second, we need to have healthy expectations for ourselves. And scripture, there's a lot of scriptures on these, but I just picked a few. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Thank <clears throat> you. 
the Lord has really been impressing that on my mind lately. We see, we don't have a clear picture. Mirrors back then were, were polished metal. There were glass mirrors, but they were usually rounded and um, not common at all. And so if the mirror wasn't polished just right, or it was dark in the room, or whatever, you know, you didn't get a real clear image if you're looking into a brass mirror, right? I'd, I'd look tan. That'd be kind of nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, we see unclearly, and we only have a piece, a little part of what God's doing. So we're, as people, we're often compared to infants, right? God looks down on us, and we look like a bunch of, you know, three-year-olds if we're lucky. Otherwise, it's 18-month-olds, you know, having a tantrum. And when, when newborns, when newborns are first born, yeah, I guess that works. When newborns are born, they have a set focal range on their eyes of 10 inches. They can, like, they can't change the focus, like, they can't focus on something far away, and they have a hard time fo- focusing on something that's closer. They just see what's 10 inches from their face, which is about this far, from mom's face to where the baby lays in her arm. And everything else is blurry. And really, that's, that's a good corollary for us in the spirit, is that we have the ability to see what the Lord reveals to us, and everything else is indistinct. I'm grateful for that because I'm sure I could mess up what God is doing a lot better if I knew more <laughs> of what he's doing, right? So 1 Corinthians 13, 9 says, Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. I was at a worship night here six years ago, and uh, we had a prophetic activation at the end, and Pastor Chris invited people to share what they were seeing. And there were three or four different people that, that shared things. One, one woman said, I see this really fit guy in a black shirt, like a, a form-fitting black T-shirt. Someone else said, I see this tree growing roots really, really down deep into the soil. Um, oh, the woman who saw the man said he had a, a sailboat, like a ship, an ocean-going ship with sails on his shirt. And forgive me for not going back in my journals and, and remembering the rest, but there were two others. And there was one woman in the congregation when Chris said, okay, who are those for anybody? Any of those for anybody? And one woman said, they're all for my family. And they all put together a picture, a really clear message for her about a decision their family was trying to make and what their next step should be. It was a really beautiful, powerful moment, right? I love it when God works that way because he wants to bring so many pieces together and we just each have a piece. So 1 Peter 5.8 says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And boy, we all know that's accurate, right? As soon as we start to isolate ourselves from community, from our family, from the Lord, we're in danger. Um, Quite a while back, I was, I was watching the lake on a winter morning, and I saw a big flock of mud hens and little brown ducks that, that eat the milfoil in the wintertime. And all of a sudden, they all just went like this, and they were flapping their wings and churning up the water in foam. And I'm like, what's going on? And then I see a bald eagle flying over the top, and I'm like, wow, that's a really cool defense mechanism. You know, and so I go about what I was doing, and you know, keep kind of watching the coots because it was interesting. 
and they, you know, spread apart and relax, and then all of a sudden, again, as the eagle flew over another time. The eagle did that, I don't know, three or four times, and then he just waited, waited. He waited until the next time he flew over, there was one coot that was too far away to, to get in with the others. Because with the confusion of the wings and the water, the eagle couldn't pick one target, right? Because they were all together and everything was moving, even with the amazing sight that those raptors have. He couldn't pick off one coot from that mass. But when, when the flock dove in together, that meant that the space from the one who was testing out the boundaries was now too far to survive. And the eagle just went and picked him up, took him off to a tree, and, and the eagle had a great breakfast that day. But that's a lesson I've always remembered. Because I don't, I personally don't ever want to be so far out, you know, to choose to distance myself so far that when the lion comes prowling, I'm easy prey. I've been there. I've done that. I don't want to do it again. <laughs> right? So the third key is to have healthy expectations of others. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. And we all bring a part of what God is doing. And like a physical body, like the heart is a powerful organ and it's so vital. I mean, the heart does so many things, but the heart can't exist outside of the body. It can't function. It dies. The same is true of pretty much every part of our body. It's got to be part of the body in order to do what God made it to do. And so I love this verse because it just come, pulls to mind so powerfully how we have to be properly fitted into the body of Christ in order to really fulfill the measure of our creation. And then Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no wise, intelligent guidance, the people fall and go off course like a ship without a helm. But in the abundance of wise and godly counselors, there is victory. That's also the Amplified. I'm really, really glad that we have each other. And I'm really, really glad that we have the leadership we do. And coming from me, you know that, that I mean that. So as I was really praying and pressing into what the Lord wanted to say today, I just heard one phrase that was so clear. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. We know he's going to do new things. We know he's going to move. We know, we know that we don't know. We know that we don't know. But when it comes right down to it, and we're confronted with the often offensive way that God moves, right? Jesus hung out with, with the tax collectors that had deserted their people and were collecting money for the Romans. He hung out with un, the unclean. He hung out with social outcasts. I mean, people who, like, he had to go through a cleansing ritual if he wanted to go back to the, to the temple. That was offensive to any good Jew, right? He's often so offensive in the way he heals, in, in the way that, that he moves. 
You know, whether it's someone who's overcome with the joy of the Lord. There was one time when, when Micah laid right here on the floor and laughed uncontrollably through an entire evening service because the, Lord, the Holy Spirit came on her during worship. And Pastor Chris just preached right over it because he knew the Lord was doing something. And there were people there who had a hard time with that, and I don't blame them. That's not something we see. I mean, she was laughing like, oh, my gosh, she, did she actually, like, down a pint of vodka before she came? It was that kind of completely, completely unrestrained, abandoned, like, what's the word I'm looking for? But it was, it was like if, if it hadn't been the Lord, she would have been humiliating herself. It was that extreme. I helped her. She had just gotten back in from a road trip that night, and I helped her after everyone had left to go out to her car and bring in blankets, and she was not faking it. She could not walk. She was so drunk in the spirit, she could not walk. Like, arm over my shoulder, I'm walking her out to her car thinking, I didn't think I have to do this to Christians, you know? <laughs> yeah, she, and so powerful things came out of that night, both for her and for the house. She had a word for the house that was amazing. Um, and I could go on. There's so many different, I mean, take my story, raised super, super, like almost fundamentalist when it came to my faith. And then I show up here. <laughs> right? <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> the thing that kept me coming back was the love. I was loved like I'd never been loved before. My family loves me. I know that. You know, the people that I grew up going to church with love me. I know that. But there were gaps in how they were capable of loving that I needed filled and I found those here and so despite all of the crazy I saw I couldn't stay away because I saw the love and so when when God moves offensively when he moves in ways that we think oh that's not God I don't know if anybody else has done that but I have I've gotten a word from the Lord and I've rebuked it thinking it was a spirit of fear. Like, and Chris can tell lots of stories along the same lines, where you get a word, and, and you, you, like, rebuke the devil, and utterly, like, break that off in Jesus' name. I don't know how that works if you're trying to break a word from the Lord off in Jesus' name. But, you know, and then later you find out, oh, no, that was the Lord trying to tell me something really important that could have saved me this heartache or this mistake, Right? So when he moves offensively, let's pause and go, okay, Lord, is this you? And if we're still confused, we check in with somebody. You know, we all have friends we pray with, hopefully friends that know us, friends that we can turn to, mentors, that we can say, I'm, I, I'm really confused by this thing. If it's from the Lord, why do I feel confusion? Right? Because we talk about peace being the fruit of, of the Spirit. Um, sometimes peace Sometimes confusion is the fruit of believing a lie that prevents you from seeing what God is doing in the moment, right? And this is, this, what, I'm, what I'm saying right now takes discernment from reading it in black and white and applying it like math to trusting in relationship, both with the Lord and with one another, so that we have the flexibility to move with the Lord in the way he wants to move. Because um, I really don't want to miss it. And when I do, I want to be humble and pliable enough that I can correct course real quick. 
and, and be teachable and, and step back into what the Lord is doing. So let's not miss it, church. Let's not get distracted by so many of the things that, that so easily distract us. And the distraction, the removal of traction. You know, and, and I'm not saying, okay, everybody get ready to try really hard and then work really hard and we'll do it. No. I'm saying go home, spend time in your prayer closet. You know, keep an ear open for the Lord during the day as you're, as you're talking, as you're doing things. One of my favorite itinerant preachers, Brian Orm, said he was going for a walk one day and he loves to just walk and think. And he was walking along on a sunny spring day and all of a sudden he heard the Lord say, I love your worship. And Brian goes, I'm not worshiping. And the Lord says, yes, you are. When we think together, it's worship. So I love that because I'm a thinker and I felt kind of guilty a lot of times going on a, on a car trip or whatever where I would think about things and, and discover things and I felt like I got revelation but I was like, oh, but I really should be praying or worshiping. Well, I was doing both. Anyway, God is so fun. Um, but yeah, let's bring this back around. <laughs> to be flexible and humble and teachable and to be open during the day. Just to know when your heart's turned towards the Lord, it's worship. When your heart's turned towards the Lord, it's, it's prayer. Not the kind of prayer that I pray up here for all of us or the kind of prayer we pray in a circle or the kind of prayer that I pray at home. But it's that connection. It's an open connection. And lastly, I want to I wanna exhort you to stay in the word. Even if, even if you open your Bible and go, I'll read that one today, do it. And if you don't, don't stress about it. Just remember, I'm encouraging, I'm exhorting you to be in the word. Because it's life. It's beautiful. I, I've, I, I love the Bible so much, I cannot even tell you. Um, I'm a feeler, and, you know, when it comes to discernment and, and sensing things in the spirit, I'm really a feeler, and there have been seasons where, where I open the Bible and I start to read, especially if it's in John, <laughs> and I just, I can only get a few verses in, and I just have to stop and receive and be in the presence of the Lord, like the Bible can do that. I never knew that before. I mean, I've always known that the Bible has all the answers, we could ever need. They're in there. But I didn't know just how much of an encounter it could be. You know, when my heart is dry or when, or when God really wants to show up and, and give me a new revelation of how much he loves me or just how present he can be with me that fast. So I want to just really encourage you, be in the word. Curiously, exploratorily. Yeah, and let's keep in mind the story of Holy Week, starting with Palm Sunday, where Jesus came in to the city to joyous shouts of Hosanna and the people proclaiming him as king and blessing him in the name of the Lord. And then the events that played out differently from what they expected and how they didn't just reject him as king, they sent him to die. That's... That's the story that I'm really taking away from this, this prep 
from this message is that I don't want my expectations to blind me. So let's pray, if you'll stand with me. Father God, thank you so much for who you are. We thank you today for your word. We thank you for your heart for us, for the fact that you see us so well and so clearly, and like Kevin always says, you like us anyway. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Just thank you. Thank you, thank you for the life of Christ and the example that he set and for the things that we can learn. And I pray, God, that each one of us will have a, a revelation, a new level of understanding in how to see what you're doing and how to, how to receive revelation from you, how to be more flexible and pliable in the moment and, and to trust, trust more in your word and in one another and in you. And God, I just pray that you fill everyone in this house, whether it's in this moment or during this week, fill us with a, a fresh refill of your life and your love. And I pray, God, that we'll, feel, we'll feel, hmm, that we'll be filled to overflow so that we truly are full and that we have enough in despair because we, we will freely receive and we'll be able to freely give. God, guide our words this week. Guide our steps this week. Guide our hearts this week. And I just pray that we can see you more often in those around us, see you more often in what's going on. And I pray that hope, hope will be present in our perspectives and that when we speak, it will give life. And when we minister, it will give life. And when we serve, it will give life. In Jesus' name, amen. So today is, is also, it was the day that they chose the lamb. In the Old Testament, you know, they chose the lamb and they took it into their home. And, and as Annalie was, thank you, Annalie, that was really good. But as, as um, they, were, they, were, they were coming in, they, he was coming into the city. Today is also the day that, that Joshua brought the children of Israel across the Jordan and into the promised land. It's the same day. God is so specific. So let's, let's take this week and go, God, everything that I had from being in slavery in Egypt before we knew the Lord, everything that was there, all of the ways that we disobeyed and we didn't believe, we didn't trust you in the valley of, of walking around in, in the desert because of those things. Let's look at it and then then let's look at this week and let's step into the new promised land that God has for us, letting everything go, everything from the past go, you know, and, and, and you know, he wants to heal those places in our heart and in our life from our past, but we got to let him go. We got to forgive where we need to forgive. We have to ask forgiveness where we need to. We have to let all the memories go. So as, as Lois said, he can heal those places so that, that we have the scars, but we can say, yeah, but God. So, so let's look at this week as, as we're entering in, guys. We're entering into something new. God is doing something new. He's taking us into something new. Let me add something to that. I, I don't want to take away from what Annalie just preached, which was amazing. But one of the things that when she was talking about things being offensive, like he, he, he's something offensive, the way I took it is that he's doing it offensively. He's making a move. 
And that's where we're at. We're in a move. And we need to quit being defensive and get on the offense and make that move. And I think that's what she's calling us to do is to go with him. We're not supposed to do it by ourselves. But he's the one that moves that way. So we're supposed to move with him on the offense. So me, myself, I'm going to head down for the layup and let him pass it to me and I'm going to stuff it. I'm ready. I want to make the move. Or I'm going to go deep for the pass and let him throw me the ball clear to the end zone. I'm going to catch it, and then I'm going to spike that sucking ball right into the floor, and I'm going. It's time to be on the move. It's not time to just sit and wait. Everything's going now, more than it ever has. And we need to just keep stepping into that. Amen. Anybody else have anything? I mean, I think that was pretty amazing. Thank you for bringing that in. Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.